Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Consequence Podcast Network. Welcome to State of the Empire, Consequence of Sound's Star Wars speculation podcast where we look for news in Alderaan places. Hi, I'm Cap. Hey, I'm Doug. And I'm Matt. Now, you might have noticed in that little intro there, that, well, there's a couple things different. You heard Consequence of Sound thrown around quite a bit. That's because with this episode, we are officially transitioning from State of the Empire being a signature Nerdy Show Network program to being a signature program of Consequence of Sound's newly christened podcast network and consequence has been sort of co-producing co-featuring state of the empire for like over a year at this point i've worked for consequence of sound as most folks who've been listening to us through nerdy show probably know but now not only do i run the nerdy show network i also run the consequence podcast network as of this episode's release that big public announcement hasn't exactly happened yet, but um, along with this show and the other currently running show on the Consequence Podcast Network, the Stephen King show, The Losers Club, we've both been pretty candid about what's going on now that we kind of have the, uh, the ins and outs of it. The network will officially debut later this month in January 2018, and there'll be a lot of other new programs coming along, some of which will involve other faces from Nerdy Show, and we're still recording in the Nerdy Show studio with Nerdy Show personnel, and we're still very much tethered to the heart and soul of Nerdy Show, but as far as State of the Empire and the super-specific Star Wars discussion that it embodies, that's a lot more in line with the kind of programming that Consequence is going to be putting out. So that's where we ended up. It seemed like it made the most sense. All of our Star Wars coverage that we've done over the years, like going to Star Wars Celebration and all that... That's all been via Consequence of Sound credentials, so it's really just a, a natural progression of things. Meanwhile, Nerdy Show's still going to be putting out the same cornucopia of nerdy awesomeness that you know and love, and uh, we're actually kind of doubling down our efforts on our audio drama shows in the coming year. So check out the Consequence Podcast Network, and uh, if you're from the Consequence side of things, check out the Nerdy Show Network. Two great tastes that taste great together. Sort of a, an alliance of rebels, if you will, like yeah. a rebel alliance. I like it. I like the way you think, Matt. This episode is dedicated almost exclusively, with a couple exceptions, to the forthcoming Han Solo solo film, Solo, which comes out allegedly May 25th. We've got the first waves of some serious new information coming out of there, some, uh, some toy leaks that are providing us with some further perspective on the characters and the story. So we're very excited to dig into that, speculate on what's to come. And, uh, and also we've got some, uh, some talk about comic books and some weird theme park stuff to discuss. Now, uh, before we get started, one real quick thing. There are the blast doors. Those are spoiler-proof blast doors. And when we open them, we're going to talk about spoilers. But for most of the show, it's completely... 
what we believe to be spoiler-free. We're going to talk about some things in regards to Solo, but it's all going to be really surface-level speculation, nothing more than you couldn't get from walking down an aisle in Target and figuring out for yourself. So it's all going to be light stuff, but once we open the blast doors, then there will be the spoilers. But in the meantime, fear not. I just want to point out that like Qui-Gon's death could have been in front of the blast doors. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Matt, let's not invalidate the power of the blast doors here. I mean... I, uh, we we all know that the track on the soundtrack, Qui-Gon's Noble End, was absolutely like one of the dumbest things to ever happen in Star Wars history in terms of... Like, and only, only to be followed up by the Jango Fett toy that's head fell off. Yes. Because that was released before the movie, too. Very dumb things. <laughs> Where does the Chewbacca spiral notebook fit into all that? <laughs> uh, so, so that's what it is. It's as the blast doors are closing, Qui-Gon Jinn, Jango Fett... And sad Chewbacca jumped through the blast doors as they were closing. Sure. (laughs) But look, for you folks out there who really want to dodge all the spoilers, we think we have your back. All right. (laughs) We'll try to keep you safe. That's our goal here. We're going to have some fun and we're going to keep you safe. Uh, But if you're, you know, stout of heart, then you go behind the blast doors and you hang out in our Facebook group where we talk nothing but the latest Star Wars spoilers. It's just it's just a lifestyle choice. It's it's just up to you. You can do whatever you want. Get freaky. Now, in December, we ended the month with a pile of three episodes on top of one another leading up to The Last Jedi, our Last Jedi review, and then our review of Secrets of the Empire, the absolutely amazing, you have to do it seriously, VR experience at, uh, well, three Disney locations across the globe. But... um. Something's been going on in the Star Wars world, really, that, that needs addressing, and that is the fallout of The Last Jedi. We, you know, having reviewed the film very recently from when we saw it, we'd only had, I don't know, like a day to reflect on what had been going on. And since then, the divisiveness and opinion about The Last Jedi that was reflected in our review between the three of us was reflected full force in the fan world absolutely everywhere and there were so many discussions that occurred in our star wars sort of discussion forum that we run on facebook star wars spoilers there's a lot to cover there's a lot to discuss about things both things we've learned about the film after it having come out and then also just to discuss about what's happened in regards to star wars fans both casual and diehard and how they've interacted with that film And that's going to be the discussion point for our next episode in two weeks. But for now, it's all Blue Skies and Han Solo, or so we hope. I I still can't get over the title of this. Couldn't they have just called it... I mean, I would have been happy with Gone in 12 Parsecs. (laughs) Anything. (laughs) Solo. A Star Wars story. My parents just saw uh, Last Jedi today for the first time. And uh, leaving the theater, they came across the Solo poster, which is the first time they had heard of this movie coming out. And my mom called me and actually said, like, you know, mentioned that after she told me how she felt about Last Jedi, she's like, oh, I see they're making a, a solo movie. It's like, I'm surprised they're doing a, a, a Ben Solo film so soon. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh and I was God. just like, oh, my gosh, mom, you just blew my mind. Like, I would never have even, like, thought that, like, that was even a possibility. I'm like, no, 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 it's young Han Solo. And she goes, oh. And then she asked me if Harrison Ford was going to be in it. Assuming that they would like CG him up. If only. <laughs> parents are such a good barometer for like, you know, people who are parents who are disassociated with the fan communities and all that um, for really gauging 
what m- something along the lines of what the general public consensus of perception is for things, and that is fascinating on so many fronts. Yeah, and I'd like to think my mom's a pretty unique cookie in some regards. So I don't know if that's what most people would assume, but it is kind of funny when you think about it. I mean, we we commented a lot during Rogue One that a lot of people on Instagram during the Instagram teasers were saying in the comments like, where's Ray? Where's BB-8? Where's this? Where's that? I think people are firmly entrenched in the sequel trilogy universe that some people might think this is, you know, a Ben Solo film until we get a trailer. You'd hope. Wow. You'd have to blame Marvel for that because everything that Marvel releases like in, is in that same vein, you know, of like, oh, this is the next one. This is the next one. Yeah, no, it's all basically yet, sequential. Really mm-hmm. Oh, but you know what isn't, though? Interestingly, Captain Marvel, I only recently found out, is set in the 90s. Yep, with a, with a two-eyed really? Samuel L. Jackson. Huh. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm very excited for what that film represents in terms of being weird and shaking up the foundation of everything they've done so far. So maybe uh, may, maybe the time is now. Everybody get used to it. Things are going to get shaken up. And when you see the word solo, it doesn't mean what you think. But I do agree, tagging all the way back to the start of this conversation, it's still a terrible fucking name. <laughs> they should totally have called it something cool. We gave them an entire list of awesome names. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, like... You know, for all the celebration of like the pulp stylings that like these films had, like, you know, Rogue One had some notes like Force Awakens, you know, obviously it was full of nostalgia and Solo kind of has these notes too. Like they are so scared in their naming. Like none of the films have come anywhere close to the sort of like pulp names that Lucas was willing to give these films, you know, like The Empire Strikes Back, Attack of the Clones, you know, like these are actually like, you know, of what he was trying to capture stylistically. And I don't know. These, these names are kind of generic and lame. Yeah. Um, Han Solo, whether this movie's good or not, deserves better. Much better. He deserves a funky, weird, like Han Solo in the Smuggler's Moon or whatever title. Right. Well, it deserves an Indiana Jones title. Yes. Yes, exactly. Kingdom of the Crystal Porg, as previously discussed. so here's the latest on solo the film you know as we as we probably all know by this point was reshot damn near in its entirety or you know according to some accounts anyway but now a reddit user who's offered some confirmed leaks in the past says that there are more reshoots coming actually that the ron howard shoots have you know they they it, it wrapped several months ago and now they're back at it um, happening from the end of January, continuing for three weeks or so into February at least. Um, apparently, these are just pickup shots, but notoriously, the things that were labeled pickup shots for Rogue One but changed the entire film, that those were pickup shots, quote-unquote. Not to mention the the sort of, you know, the, the director turnover. You wonder how much, like, is necessary at this point, right? Like, it's got to be a lot. Yeah, what one would suspect... And then to tie into the whole, the ecosystem of Hollywood, the releases, and how even though there's many separate studios, and even though Disney owns most of them at this point, they all do have a sort of uh, symbiosis and synchronicity. They have to have to work with each other. Um, and Deadpool was just moved from June 1st 
bumped up to May 18th, which at this late date in its um, promotion cycle is very strange. That's two weeks after Infinity War and uh, one week before Han Solo. And given that Disney and Fox are now fully in bed together and in all likelihood have been leading up to the public announcement of this merger, um, it seems likely that Solo is actually going to get pushed from this May 25th date. Now, they wanted to meet it. You know, I mean, every indication seems that way. But where Solo is now, is it's still Memorial Day. It's still like you know, traditionally the second biggest weekend of the summer. I mean, we know that's not true anymore. Like these late late April, first week of May releases have kind of like become a holiday onto themselves now. But like, you know, July 4th and Memorial Day were always like the two biggest summer movie weekends for a long time. And Solo currently has that. It's so unlikely that you leave it. If you leave Memorial Day, somebody's going to take that spot. You know, somebody that's not Deadpool. Right. All logic would dictate that when they change directors... They would have moved this due date, but they were like, no, we're going to do it. And I don't know, folks, this whole situation is super weird. And the Deadpool move, I mean, why on earth would they do that? I can't even fathom why they would do that. I, I don't either. I mean, people love to box office theorize, you know, does Deadpool get good word of mouth after one weekend? And so it serves as good counter programming to Solo. So like you can't get tickets to Solo first weekend. So you just go see, you know, Deadpool because it's rated R and there's no kids there. It's a weird move. Because, you know, they're not together yet, Fox and Disney, but they're certainly talking to each other, right? I mean, it's... Yeah, well, to tag back to Captain Marvel, this is one of the things that we haven't talked really about any of this Marvel stuff on State of the Empire. But in the same breath where I learned about uh, Captain Marvel taking place in the 90s, because I wasn't really following the development of the film much at all, I also found out the villains are the Skrulls, who are... Mm under the the license for Fantastic Four, who were over in the Fox camp of things that Marvel couldn't touch with the cinematic universe. And the Skrulls' involvement in that plot line were announced way before this merger became public, which to me suggested that it was happening for a long time beforehand. Very interesting. And so here we are. Like, I got to figure they're fully in cahoots, and I just feel like I'm scraping the mashed potato pile saying this is important. This means something. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it must. I mean, you don't move Deadpool there without some consideration for what it does to Solo, whether that helps it, whether it hurts it, and then they have to move it. Or a lot of people have said that, you know, a move would signal a, you know, an indication of, of Disney's confidence in the movie, which... I don't necessarily buy because the release date is all based on how much money they perceive they're going to make, not on the quality of the film. I mean, there's plenty of bad movies that make a ton of money and there's great films that make nothing. But the release date is simply dependent upon how much money they expect it to make. And, you know, maybe they just they don't see Solo be breaking the bank like the other two films did. And so they might move it off of Memorial Day. Who knows? But it is very key weekend to like hang on to if they think the movie's worth people paying money well, for. I think we got to remember that both films are catering to two very different audiences. Deadpool's almost certainly going to be rated R and uh, Han Solo I can't imagine being I mean it's got to be PG, maybe PG-13, but it's at least aiming for PG-13 if not, you know, lower. So yeah, and and it could have a lot more to do with Infinity War than it does. I mean, maybe they have some although I don't know why they couldn't just wait till June 1st, but like maybe they added some great like meta jokes about the Fox Disney merger to Deadpool and they want it like right there to sort of like, I don't know, maybe, maybe Deadpool was aimed at kind of making fun of the whole Marvel machine 
you know, I mean, it's so self-aware, like it might be great coming off of like, you know, in Infinity Wars third week. Yeah, that's a very good point. Just for fun, I wanted to look up what also was released around the same time as the first Deadpool. And uh, three days before Deadpool came out, Hail Caesar came out. (laughs) (laughs) The first Deadpool was like a Valentine's weekend movie, I think. It was, yeah. It would also uh, coming out at the same time as Deadpool was uh, Zootopia. That was so, a good you know, man. Zootopia, I those... loved all three of those movies. I mean, just because two movies are being released at the same time, it's not like there's a finite amount of money that's going to go around. If they're both good, they're both going to you know do good. Unfortunately, Hail Caesar did not do good. So if you want to see a great film with Alden Ehrenreich, aka Han Solo, please wait no longer. See Hail Caesar. It is a gem. Now. <laughs> We have a tradition here at, uh, at State of the Empire of every time we do a report about something that inevitably, when we're waiting around for some really big piece of news, inevitably it happens immediately after we put out an episode, or if we're really unfortunate, right before. <laughs> and we haven't seen the solo trailer yet. It was actually rumored it was going to come out this past week, and it didn't happen. So it's got to happen soon. Matt, you were thinking maybe Super Bowl? Yeah, I mean, it's it's, um, you know, it's definitely a high profile time to debut trailers. Um, A lot of times it's the second trailer for a movie. But, you know, Solo is a very unique thing because, you know, Marvel doesn't mind, you know, like we saw Black Panther trailers before Thor Ragnarok came out, you know, because, yes, they're the same series, but they're so loosely affiliated with each other. And I would argue that Star Wars is sort of the same way as far as the anthology films. It's not like they're revealing story about the sequel trilogies. You know, like if the Star Wars galaxy is is this giant galaxy and you're telling a movie that takes place like 40 to 50 years before, you know, Last Jedi, you know, you can show us something before Last Jedi comes out. But they insisted on waiting. And I mean, think about it this way. If this was Last Jedi and we were this this far away from the movie coming out, we would have already had the toy releases for Last Jedi by this point. And we don't know anything about the Han Solo toys. There's no announced tie-ins as far as like literature or media. Like it's kind of crazy when you think about it. We have nothing. Well, officially we have nothing. Unofficially, we've got some stuff. We do have a piece of promotional art that was leaked, and at first Disney kind of like refuted it weirdly, even though it was very clearly official. And uh, then, in very short notice, that same promotional art showed up on the corner packaging of a ton of leaked Lego photos. It's always the Legos first. I always think that's pretty interesting. Always Legos. Yeah, I'm, I wonder why that is. So we've got we've got a whole list of things. We'll link to where you can see these photos on Imgur. It's it's some neat stuff and sort of points to a lot of confirmation for pieces of the narrative of Solo that we'd piece together from uh, shots behind the scenes shots from the original filming of the movie and some leaked things that were that were said. First and foremost, the uh, the redesign of the Millennium Falcon. It's cool. I mean, they 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 filled in like I, I believe that's a Macquarie like con- concept from early illustrations of the Falcon. They they filled in the gap in the front. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if they're going to go back and say that the the Millennium Falcon in, in Revenge of the Sith was not the Millennium Falcon. Um, I think as of now, it's canon that it was the Millennium Falcon, but now it might just be a YT, you know, 1300, 1600. I don't even remember. Uh, freighter. I think it's 13. 13, 1300. Um, 
which is probably the smartest thing to do. Let's be honest. Like, let's not try to shoehorn the Falcon on Coruscant, like around Order 66. But yeah, I mean, um, where did where exactly did that show up officially? Just like in a dictionary or something or what? Uh, you, I mean, you see it in Revenge of the Sith. You see it. But it could be any freighter like that. It just happens to be dirty right, like the Falcon. Right. And, and I think just during the ramp up of Revenge of the Sith and then the material out. And then also there was an expanded universe novel called Millennium Falcon that was like stories about the different owners of the falcons over the years and it like you know ended with lando and han having separate stories and um you know it, it featured the story of of one of the owners having it on coruscant around the time the empire started so you know they they canonized it in the old expanded universe for you know what that was but obviously that's legends now but i think since then it's still been listed that the falcon was like its first appearance canonically was in revenge of the sith chronologically Right. And uh, I, I think I don't think anybody would be upset if they just said, no, it's just a YT 1300. Like, <laughs> that's really what we should be yeah, ho- hoping for. This ship looks new. It's got a clean paint job. It's snazzy. It's like they made something retro, even stylish, more stylishly retro. Yeah. It's yeah. cool. It's like a, a happy medium between prequel and classic eras. And yes. yet also with something we recognize, which is really unusual. <laughs> the Lego playset that we have is specifically Kessel Run Millennium Falcon. There's And because it's a whole playset, it comes with a ton of mini figurines that offers some character context for when this is happening. And then also the, the background of the box has these uh, details in it. It's like... Um, it's like the Kessel Run is taking place in some kind of lightning nebula with TIE fighters shooting at them. So, Matt, what exactly is the Kessel Run in prior Expanded Universe content? Um, if I remember this correctly, it was a smuggling route that took them very close to a cluster of black holes called the Maw in the Kessel system. Um, as it turned out, the Imperials had like a facility on the inside of these, like in a safe space in between all these black hole clusters, which is where they were actually like building like other prototype weapons like they kind of worked on the death star back there they built the sun crusher things like that but like that's not related to the kessel run other than the fact that the black holes are present yeah it was just it's a smuggling route really and and you know it's very dangerous and hard to run because of those black holes Hmm. yeah i mean i just don't know what to make of the background of this box it's all space electricity basically and maybe there's a mountain in the like lower left hand corner maybe it's interesting. I didn't notice that before. But I'm not really sure. Um, with the with these kind of grainy web photos, that could be anything. But uh, I guess while that's up in the air, and you know who knows who knows what the Kessel Run is at this point, we can talk about the figures that come with the Millennium Falcon, which could be quite telling. Depending, we have Kira, who appears to be Amelia Clark's character, Han Solo, Chewbacca, Lando Calrissian, someone named Quay Tolsite. Uh, Kessel Operations Droid and DDBD. So the Kessel Operations Droid looks like a creepy-looking red protocol droid, and DDBD is kind of like an astromech droid, but he has stubby walking legs underneath him. Looks like maybe an older model of some kind. I think he is the 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 conjecture is that he is some sort of hybrid, um, like pieced together droid made up of a astromech's top and a gonk droid's bottom. Those did look like chubby little gonk legs, yeah. Which I think is adorable and could be very, very cute on screen. <laughs> <laughs> Q 
Quay Tulsite is easily the most interesting person in this list here. Um, because he, he's very unusual looking alien with some kind of a helmet. And Matt, you identified it as most likely a pike, which is a species I was not familiar with. Yeah, they they've been in Clone Wars, and I think they made an appearance in the Darth Maul comic, the Marvel one that came out a few months ago. They run a, a like a criminal empire that i believe are like the main guys in the current canon i think they're the the biggest producers of spice in the universe so oh, well, that, that would totally tie in with the kessel run they mostly have appeared on clone wars so th- that would be great to see a transition of you know the, the saw guerrera thing was nice but it's easy to take like not easy but you know it's 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 one thing to take a human character like a, a character from the clone wars universe and then flesh them out further but it's great to see that they're willing to bring creations of of Dave Filoni and, and his team and put it into the live action universe. Yeah, it makes the expanded universe really valid and yes. and feels like it's working and, and a rewarding transmedia experience, not fluff. Yeah. And that's that's kind of what Star Wars is contending against right now is like with with the films still being the Bible for for what really does or doesn't mean anything or stay canon and so on. It's nice to see things that don't get thrown away and that do expand the world for people who are bothering to invest the uh, the the time and money into continuing to love Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, Saw Gerrera, I, I, I loved him and the portrayal of him in Rogue One. I appreciate bringing Saw Gerrera into the live action universe, but they didn't do enough to tell me that that was actually the character from Clone Wars. Like he didn't talk about his time fighting in the Clone Wars. He didn't talk about his sister Steela. Nothing about that character in Rogue One even like subtly indicated that he had a larger story that's already been told in this universe like he certainly has a story but not something that the fans without knowing his name could have identified him as like oh that's the guy from Clone Wars the only reason we knew that is because of the marketing going into the film but doing things like bringing alien races from Clone Wars and stuff like that that's that's subtle ways of of making the universe bigger that like feels more concrete and effective i guess another interesting thing about what we've got from these lego figures is that it one of the the aspects of the solo story that we knew so far confirms that it does in many ways mirror facets of the older aspects of the han solo origin story that were already established in the prior canon certainly going to change a bunch of things but we've got corellia we have the kessel run and um we have han solo running with tobias beckett a uh criminal mentor dude who's notably not present during the Kessel run for whatever that means. Um, but let's, let's look at what we've got for Corellia because we have some things that are just straight up. Hey, this is on Corellia. You're totally going to see Corellia. There's Han Solo's speeder, which is a package that comes with Han Solo, Kira and a Corellian hound, which is something new, I think. And then there's also, yep. um, Moloch speeder, which comes with this character Moloch, a guy named Rebolt, and two Corellian hounds, and they both, on their backgrounds of the uh, of the uh, Lego boxes, you see what looks like a uh, sort of like grim shipping yard kind of vibe. So I guess that's what Corellia looks like. And these are definitely the things that we saw being shot in the behind the scenes photos taken in front of the power station in the UK. And then on New Year's, and we'll link to this, Ron Howard posted a interior shot of the like cabin and uh, steering wheel of Solo's speeder. So the uh, the Corellian hounds, they like 
tiny white buffalo dogs. And they're chasing the speeders. They're like running with the speeders. I don't know if you know how much you can invest in a Lego box. Um, after all, as a follow up to <laughs> to our Lego speculation, um, that sand speeder <laughs> never showed up in the Last Jedi, and still hasn't shown up anywhere else. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I I think we just have to. The sand speeder is just some somebody's idea of a joke, I guess. It just got out there. <laughs> a weird joke. Yeah. Um, yeah, Curly has been portrayed in a bunch of different ways over the years. I think it's just generally kind of a future industrial earthy planet. Like it has green areas, it has jungles, but it also definitely has like Star Wars cities. So... You know, I could I could see it being betrayed in this movie in a bunch of different ways. Um, the industrial park where they were filming was, you know, or the industrial plant, very interesting. I wonder if we're going to get kind of like a Blade Runnery vibe type thing. Like it's it's very, you know, dystopian. Um, dystopian might not be the right word, but very uh, dirty urban future. Yeah, I mean, do you mean to say that that Corelli has more than one biome? at least it it did like i mean it had mountains it had you know like it had everything so i i do hope that like you know we don't need you know uh we don't need a resistance soldier on corellia you know telling us what the terrain is by licking his fingers i'm hoping we don't need him the um the character moloch he he might be a pike maybe He's, he looks more like a Corian from Mass Effect. Yeah, I, I have no idea what he is. I, I'm a little disappointed they call him speeders. I was hoping, like, because Han was a swoop racer at one point in the old EU, and I thought it'd be cool if they were, like, swoop bikes. Like, I know we've had swoop bikes in the film, so we had them in Attack of the Clones and I think in Clone Wars, but it'd be cool to see Han riding a swoop bike instead of a speeder. Yeah, that was how uh, Dangar's face got messed up was um, an accident with the swoop bike race. Yep. And Han fucked up his face. And are we going to, is, is Dangar going to be our Dr. Everson? Maybe. Um, at the very least, that would be rewarding instead of insulting. I think he's messed up in the Clone Wars cartoon. So oh. I think he's already messed up. I think. I'm trying to remember back and I don't recall if he's all screwed up yet. Mm, that's a good point. I, uh, having not watched Clone Wars, I forgot that I at one point learned that he was in it. <laughs> Um, Everybody was in Clone Wars. <laughs> even even young Chewie, once again, making another appearance where he doesn't belong. <laughs> Moloch's speeder looks like an 8-track being loaded into a player, and then it has it's like a one-seater sh- thing, and it also has kind of this laser Gatling gun built into the hood. Um, it's an interesting, rugged-looking design, and um, as Han is speeding away from some green blaster bolts on the... F- front of that thing we can assume that he's outrunning this Moloch guy who I guess is a bad dude uh, especially because he's rolling with a dude named Rebolt who appears to just straight up be a human slaver of some kind he's got a whip and then there's the Imperial Battle Pack which also features another vehicle that we saw in the behind the scenes shoots at uh, the power station which is this severe looking what I would call a swoop an Imperial Battle Speeder of some kind it's not the speeders from um, Endor it's something much more armored it, it looks like something you'd see in rebels yeah it totally does 
Um, with this set is a female domed black imperial officer, like the the dudes, like I forget what they're called, like any of the dudes have the, the, the sort of like half dome space balls looking helmet. And you got space ball troopers. Yeah, space ball troopers. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's a, a mustachioed imperial officer, and then two brand new stormtrooper types, the range troopers, because we can't have a Star Wars film now without reintroducing a new class of trooper armor. <laughs> We get at least two a movie, right? Like Force Awakens, we got just the First Order Stormtrooper and then the the, the Fire Trooper. We also got a new sto- a Snow Trooper, underutilized with the deleted scene. Right. But... Yeah, Rogue One had the Shore Trooper and the Tank Driver. Death Troopers in Rogue One. And then, huh, there is something. I know there's something. Because, like, I feel it. Oh, the, the Executioners. Yes. And it looks like we had two new ones, this film. Yeah, yeah. With the Imperial TIE Fighter, we get what's called a Mimbon Stormtrooper. And I assume that's a planet? Not only is that a planet, Cap, but... (laughs) (laughs) School me, Matt. What's happening here? Mimbon is where, in the very first piece of Expanded Universe material, at least novel-wise, I think the, the Marvel comic run had started by that point. It was 1978, and it was Splinter of the Mind's Eye by Alan Dean Foster, and featured Luke and Leia crashing on the planet Mimbon, um, and getting into some very uh, uh, sexually charged situations where Luke kind of spied on Leia changing. Oh, great. I love how often that fucking happens to Leia, just like fucking Prince Caesar and the Shadows of the Empire. Mm-hmm. And uh, they end up getting into conflict with Vader because on the planet of Mimban is a temple of the Kyber. But of course, in this, it was a the Kyber crystal, like not not a Kyber crystal the kyber crystal like Mm. i think it was like k-a-i-b-u-r-r it might have been spelled that way by that point um and it was a a a uh a crystal that could magnify the power of the force that was the rumors and sure enough luke managed to get a hold of it and fight off vader because he had this crystal and vader falls down a a a chasm like it kind of the the temple like splits open like uh last crusade and vader falls into it and um they escape and it's not a very good book. Um, I don't think Alan Dean Foster is a very good writer. Sorry, Alan, if you're listening. Um, but one of my favorite things that ever happened in the expanded universe happens in this book, which is, like I said, this was written in 78. It might've been 79, but I think it was 78. And when they're leaving the temple, uh, by the way, Luke doesn't bring the Kyber with him. I think he loses it along the way or something like that. But anyway, um, how convenient. They yeah, they left 3PO and R2 to watch the the temple in case uh Vader and the stormtroopers showed up. And they were not warned when Vader showed up. So when they get outside the temple at the end, they find both droids deactivated. And it's like the second to last page of the book. They flip the switch back on 3PO, and 3PO's like, I'm sorry, Master Luke. You know, it was Darth Vader. Somehow he knew the access codes. And I never thought about it. And then all of a sudden, Phantom Menace comes out. And Anakin created 3PO. And I know it's coincidence, but it's still one of my favorite things to explain how somehow Vader knew the access code to shut 3PO off. So good. It's, <laughs> it's I, I, I like, just... It's it's almost like I had an aneurysm in the theater. <laughs> like... Young little Matt having a an aneurysm. I, I knew... 
yeah, I knew going in the Phantom Menace that Anakin created 3PO, but it wasn't until I was watching it that I was just like, oh my God, Splinter the Mind's Eye. Like, he knew the access codes because it always bothered me. And but, that, that is the power of an expanded universe right there. <laughs> right, that they're, that they're retconning Splinter of the Mind's Eye in an official film. <laughs> but um, yeah, so the, the Mimban Stormtrooper means we're going to that planet, which by the way has been featured in um, Clone Wars, I believe. Uh, I don't think it was Rebels. I'm pretty sure it was Clone Wars. So we have seen the planet in animated form, or I'm sorry, it was mentioned in Clone Wars. Um, but we're going to possibly likely go there, which is freaking amazing. Like they're pulling a planet from the very first piece of star Wars book. That's great. Yeah. And with the inclusion of tag and bank, I mean, solo is going to be full of weird stuff. Hopefully it's a good movie. Um, and I don't like fan service, but in terms of if it actually uses these opportunities to not pull stupid sight gag fan service, like Ponda Baba and Dr. Everson, but to actually stitch it together and make it feel, I don't know, just like something as cool as an episode of Rebels. Great. Sign me up. All right. This Mimban Stormtrooper, basically Phasma. A not shiny Phasma with a black cape covered in dirt. And uh, all the Imperials look rough. They all have like crap all over them from this this Mimban set, and it's it's just a Tie Fighter. It's just a regular old Tie Fighter that comes with these Han Solo minifigures, as far as I can tell, anyway. And then the box shows a kind of misty, swampy-looking planet, which is my understanding of what Mimban is like from Splinter of the Mind's Eye and all the art I've ever yep. seen. Um, and then there's a little like launching, like a shooting star, but like launching from the planet in the distance on the box. Most mm. notably, though, this comes with Han Solo and Tobias Beckett but both of them are wearing Imperial uniforms. Now, I saw a list of all the minifigure stuff for Solo where they were listed as Imperial Disguise Han and Beckett, mm-hmm. but on the box itself, it does not say that. Right. And I, I pray that we do not get another, uh, like, three Star Wars films in a row where they use Imperial Disguises in order to in- infiltrate a facility. Like, I already get it weekly on Rebels. And I just, I really don't want it to happen again. You know, like, Jin and Cassian did it. Then Finn and, and Rose did it. Like, there's got to be a better way to, a better way to plot these movies. Um, I'm hoping that it's just Han and Beckett are stationed there during their Imperial days. Like, that would be very interesting. Just getting to see them actually in Imperial service, like Han's original kind of origin story. Um, something worth mentioning cap about Mimban also is apparently they were originally going to use the planet in rogue one as the setting that they ended up putting Jetta. Huh? And, and then, and then eventually they they developed Jetta. So, Jetta is obviously was used for its kyber crystal. Like, you know, they, they, they kept that aspect of Mimban. I'm curious if this movie involves kyber crystals at all. At this point, it would seem kind of silly for it to, because it has so much else to deal with. 
but maybe. I mean, you know, maybe this I mean, is more kyber mining for the Death Star. It, it could be. It could be a throwaway thing. It could be Han at, and Beckett as Imperial officers on a planet, and they're stationed there because of a kyber mining operation. Yeah, that wouldn't feel wrong. It would just be another, you know, another thing. Yeah, I mean, there is a little. There seems to be, a, or a lot of focus on the Death Star. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm lip fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Construction in the era between Revenge of the Sith and A New Hope. Yeah. Like everything uh, expanded material seems to focus on it. That's the, you know, the Empire's only thing. Like Thrawn heavily mentions it, Rebels, um, you know, obviously Rogue One. Like it, it you know. There's got to be something else they were up to. It's 18 years. <laughs> yeah. Kyber crystals are okay, but I just don't want to see another lightsaber. Well, what would be interesting, though, Doug, is you're right. Keep the lightsabers out of it, but maybe Han's frustrated that they're there getting these things that he thinks is based on a bunch of force mumbo jumbo. You know, like it, it's a chance for us to see oh, sure. the character be skeptical and then carry that on. I, I, I like you, am worried that like the character in A New Hope might not make sense because he's been through things. It's like I could, you know, I have a certain, I can dispel like Indiana Jones being a skeptic in every single film, despite the, what he's seen in the previous ones. But I don't think something so connective like star Wars should go that route. You know, like I hope Han, the character still makes sense when this movie's over. That would be ideal. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's two other, there's two other Lego things worth mentioning. There's a, a buildable range trooper and the range trooper we can only assume is comes some kind of like, you know, like range targeting thing. Otherwise we don't really have much of a clue about what that actually means. Um, and then there's a solo buildable figure. These are like action figures made out of Legos where it looks like, I don't know, I can't tell, is this the Lego or is this the figure and is it even something that's that's gonna we're going to see in the movie? It looks like he's wearing brown armor on a dark stormy planet and this photo is way lower res than all the other photos we've got. So make of that what you will. The only other, only other piece of solo news we have is that um, Donald Glover was recently interviewed about the reshoots and about um, how production might uh, changed when Ron Howard came on board, 
and this is what he had to say. He said, "I um, it didn't change. Uh, he had a, he did a good job of coming in and didn't want us to change what we were doing at all. He wanted us to be comfortable with our vision. And uh, he said that, at least from the prior reshoots, he actually didn't do a ton of them. So maybe someday we'll get the story of what exactly this crazy mixed-up production entailed. But we'll see. We really don't have long to wait to find out what the hell this thing is, what it looks like. We're four and a half months away. Like, when are we going to get something? (laughs) It's so weird. It's so, so weird. I mean, with your mom being confused about it being a Ben Solo film, gosh, I just, I hope, I really, really hope that this film doesn't, you know, if it's good or or even it's bad, I hope that they don't screw up marketing this movie because there's not a lot of time. This is a really weird, weird thing they're pulling here. Before we carry on with some additional Star Wars news, we got to give shout outs to the awesome people who um, make this show possible. Now, we might have moved over to Consequence of Sound, but as of now, this show is still co-produced by the Nerdy Show Network, and everything that the Nerdy Show Network does is entirely listener-supported. We are going to be moving to a new platform that is ad-based in the near future. That is both Nerdy Show and the Consequence Podcast Network, um, but that doesn't diminish the fact that those those things, that's uncertain money. That's added benefits, but when it comes down to like day-to-day things and assurances that we'll be able to continue to do this kind of content, well, if it's being made by Nerdy Show... That means that uh, that we rely on you. Like the situation can change for State of the Empire at some point, but for now, well, State of the Empire and all of our past and future bonus perks and everything else are available to people who support us via Patreon at Patreon.com/slash/NerdyShow. Like I said, maybe that dynamic will change somehow in the future. If it does, we'll let you know. But right now, same deal as the rest of the Nerdy Show Network. Another way you can help support us, and this goes for anything, anytime, anywhere, anywhere, is if you like this show, then you can rate and review us. You can do it on iTunes, which is the still the go-to place for uh, for podcast reviews, or you could do Podchaser, which is a platform built for podcast discovery, where you can not only rate and review series like you know State of the Empire on the whole, but also specific episodes. Like if you dig just this episode. You can give us a review for this episode or just hop on there and give us a five-star rating. But some kind souls did give us reviews on iTunes recently, including one by, oh boy, Uh, (laughs) H-D-H-D-X-H-U-S-S-H. In a review entitled, Witty Review Title, they say, Simply a fun and informative podcast about Star Wars. P.S. R2-D2 is far better than BB-8. Shots fired. But I agree. I do too. Although I do really like BB-9-E. <laughs> or, or this review by Chim Chim's Revenge. Or I like that Revenge of the Chims. Uh, <laughs> the best Star Wars podcast. Woo! This is by far my favorite Star Wars podcast. These folks know their stuff and cover all facets of Star Wars fandom. Fun, informative, critical, and even spoilerific in the designated behind the blast doors segment of the show. This is one not to be missed. Give it a try. And then we have a review that, wow, well, Doug, I'll, I'll let you read this sucker. Yeah, this one actually means a lot. So uh, this, is, this is called Straight Shooters by Bo Franklin. I owe you guys an apology. I had thought some of their past episodes had been too nitpicky about Disney's handling of Star Wars. Too negative, too cynical. I can see, after viewing The Last Jedi, I should have considered their concerns about things more. They're not positive for the sake of being positive, and they're not negative because they're snobs. 
They're honest and tell you what they think. Bo, thank you so much for writing in. Previously, they'd posted a low review to iTunes, which they've since rescinded. And we, we, we discussed it because we were concerned it was about the nature of, well, basically negativity about Star Wars. And, and we wanted to make a point of saying, like, look, we, we realize that sometimes we can be very critical, but it's only because we really do like care about this and we're doing our best to assess everything that we're intaking in terms of all these news and rumors and everything. So uh, thank you so much for writing in again, uh, contacting us on Twitter. It really meant a lot. Now, there's plenty of other ways to reach out to us, including Facebook, which most people don't do much, but someone uh, contacted us recently via the Nerdy Show Network Facebook, uh, Michael, who said, Hey, I've been listening to your Star Wars podcast for close to three years. You guys are great. I was hoping to get the names of some good Vader books to read, which Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. Um... I would have to say, if you want to go back to the old expanded universe, like if you don't mind that things are non-canonical now, but I still think they they certainly like, I guess, donate their ideas to the new universe and, and Vader. Uh, the Purge comic series was was really good, very fun. Um, just the Jedi that survived Order sixty six, what they're trying to like, um, how they plan to deal with Vader, and then how Vader plans to deal with them uh, and the Emperor, and then uh, as far as books. Uh, Revenge of the Sith and Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader end up making like the, the books end up making like a really good duology um, about so that, the sort of like Revenge the fall of the Sith, and further fall. The novelization of the movie. Yes. Yes. And, and I know people kind of groan when you hear novelization. I promise you that that novelization is amongst the greatest pieces of expanded universe literature ever written. It is so good and so only partially motivated by the film and I like the film, but it's, it's purely like Anakin perspective for the most part. And he has these crazy dreams about a cryot dragon coming after him throughout the entire book. And they skip the entire battle of Kashyyyk because the author just thought that was a useless addition to the movie. And like, it's really amazingly well done and is by far the best, like, prequel era novel and there's some really really good ones but that is the best and then that's followed up with an unrelated novel that just happens to take place immediately afterwards well they form a a loose it's actually a loose trilogy but the first one is not vader related there's labyrinth of evil which is uh the jedi kind of it's a a mystery novel them piecing all together the clues from phantom menace and attack of the clones to piece together who the Sith Lord is. And then just before they can, Revenge of the Sith starts. So that one's not so much a Vader book. Um, It definitely kind of feeds into the Revenge of the Sith novelization, but loosely. They were released as a trilogy at one point, like if you you can still find it somewhere, that might be a good option. But the the three books end up being a, a very loose trilogy that is probably better than the prequels altogether. Um, But that Revenge of the Sith novelization at the very least is just the finest piece of prequel work. And then Dark Lord is a very good follow-up by James Luceno about Vader's first, like, six months. And to the point of Vader's first six months in the new canon, I cannot recommend Charles Soule's Darth Vader comics enough. The Kieran Gillen ones are good, 
but these ones that are just Vader that have been coming out recently, Volume 1 is currently available. Volume 2 is um, being collected. I think the next volume comes out in April, but it's a monthly series currently. They're 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 just they're fa- they're fantastic. Yeah. Doug, do you have any input on uh, on Vader books? You kind of stole my uh, <laughs> my, <laughs> my recommendation for the Vader comic, uh, but you know what? Since since you took that and I'm on the spot, I'll say even though it doesn't have Vader in it, just get the Lando comic. It's great. <laughs> the Lando miniseries is fantastic. Yeah, get that as, while Charles, you're at it. Charles Soule's been doing a really good job, I think, overall. Yeah, so far. Yeah, I mean, like the Poe comic ranges from uh, good to awesome. Yeah, and then everything else is solid. I mean, and and down to downright amazing. So, yeah, he's been doing wonderful work. That guy's cool as hell. Uh, one last thing before we get back to business. At Consequence of Sound, we made a a, a video, a little video documentary about the uh, Mos Eisley Cantina and, and how the appearance in A New Hope had a very strange effect on pop culture. Um, it's a cool short video. I co-wrote it and did the narration for it, and we'll link to where you can check it out on this episode's page. But back to cool Star Wars stuff, theme park things. So Star Wars Galaxy's Edge is the name of the theme park experience at Disney World. It opens in, well, Disney World and Disneyland um, in 2019. And there was a presentation held at Hollywood Studios on uh, December 16th where um, an interesting, weird little thing was was teased out. Um, there's going to be a toy shop that's this boutique experience that sort of gives a feel for what exactly Disney's trying to do with this, this experience. And so far, everything we've heard about Galaxy's Edge sounds too good to be true. And this is no different. There's um, this guy, Chris... Beatty, who is the executive creative director at Walt Disney Imagineering, said, We wanted the environment to have an exotic nature to it, so we turned to the marketplaces of Istanbul and Morocco. You'll find these little stalls that all have backstories. We have a toy maker in this market, and it happens to be a female toydarian, which is um, Watto from episode one. That's his race. Um, And I don't know that we've ever seen a female toydarian in anything. Maybe Clone Wars. Maybe though, they they go to Toy Daria a few times. There's a a store a uh, an arc that takes place there, but I I don't remember any female Toy Darians. Plot twist: Watto was a female Toy Darian. <laughs> um, uh, it goes he goes on to say, uh, like items found in a Moroccan bazaar, carved details and hand stitching will take the ma- uh, place of mass produced replicas in clamshell packaging. The personality of a foreign culture brought home through a work of art that guests can actually bring home. Uh, the beauty of the shop is in its artistry. It'll be exclusive to Galaxy's Edge. It's all about story. When you build the story, it gives the place life. So you're going to go to the stall in this alien world that's going to sell boutique handmade stuff made by, I don't know, maybe actually indigenous people in other countries. Um, who the fuck knows? And it's going to be sold to you by presumably an animatronic or hologram. How's that going to mm. work? I have no fucking clue. But there is a very low-quality illustration on a uh, Orlando Business Journal article that we'll link to on this episode's page. I don't, I don't think they can pull this off. Like, I don't... I think it'll be... I, I mean, I just mean long-term. Like, there's... Right? 
I'm, I'm, am I being pessimistic here? I, no, I, I just, I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. Just because I don't know how they can do it doesn't mean that they can't do it. But just here, here, here's the truth: people are jerks, <laughs> like, and people who, who who are in large crowds and they paid a lot of money to get into Disney, they can feel very entitled, and they all want the singular experience everybody who goes to the wizarding world of harry potter wants to go into Ollivander's wand shop they want to get the wand chosen for them they want to be the one who gets to do that one experience but not everybody can do it everyone's going to want to go to this toy store everyone's going to want to talk to the toy dairy and everyone's going to want to have this thing but you just can't do it so i think people are going to ruin it disney might set it up and they'll realize oh my gosh we didn't realize this many people wanted to talk to the animatronic toy darian and it's gonna have to be scaled back and it's gonna be lines of people you could check out your toy in one line with a human who's wearing the disney name tag or you can wait two hours to check out you know whatever toy you want to buy with the animatronic or hologram and i don't know i i i think uh I think Disney has definitely some great ideas and they probably have a plan of how they want to do it. But I think the reality of the situation is going to be way different because people are just going to hit too hard and be too uh, entitled and too demanding. And, I, and I'm still worried they're going to start making Star Wars experiences a premium at the park. I'm worried Star Wars Land is going to be a separate mission on top of your ticket, which is the only way they're going to be able to control crowds. I don't know what it's like at Orlando. Like, I guess Disney Hollywood isn't the most well-visited park there. <laughs> well, certainly, especially but, not now. It's 100% under construction. There's nothing there. Yeah, but Disneyland, I can't believe it's in Disneyland. I know there's no room to build at California Adventure anymore, but, like, that park is so crowded. It is so tiny compared to Magic Kingdom. I don't know where everyone's going to go. It's Everything is is constantly, like, even during the week, off summer, it's still like 90-minute lines. You can't move anywhere. It's awful. It's an awful experience, quite frankly. And I just don't know why Disney, Star Wars Land had to end up there. Like, why not in the other park? Because California Adventure, there's plenty of room to walk around because there's nothing to do. Yeah, you could even tie to, you know, Star Wars into the, the Skywalker Ranch experience. That's a very Californian thing. I don't know. Or or just, you know, hey, realize that California Adventure was maybe not the best theming for a theme park and sounds a little bit Six Flags for a Disney presentation and just make that Star Wars land. Yeah, and, and they're already kind of abandoning the idea of California Adventure being a California park like there's all kinds of rumors that they're about to do a Marvel land, that sort of thing, which is why the Guardians of the Galaxy Tower is there now, that, you know, mission, whatever they call it, breakout. So I, I wouldn't be surprised, like, for them to abandon the California identity. But I just I don't get why they didn't put Star Wars land there. It makes no sense to me. Here's another thing that doesn't make an abundance of sense. Um, Disney filed a patent last week that clearly pertains to lightsabers and potentially for use in theme parks. They filed a patent back in 2016 that would let park guests operate lightsabers via a projection system, which is not something that's come to pass so far. But this new one, which we'll link to pictures of, shows systems and methods for augmenting an appearance of a hilt to simulate a bladed weapon. Um... And there's there's a graphic that kind of shows this thing that is clearly a lightsaber. Um, and it's unclear what is exactly going on, even from the language of the um, patent. But the blade might be augmented reality. 
And then there's a seemingly related patent that they also filed, which describes an environment where a user with a faux lightsaber interacts with a drone flying through the air or operated with hidden rods to appear as if it is flying through the air. Um, which with drones that would follow a signal in the saber to interact with you. So that's like, imagine that seems very specifically to be like the training orb from right. a new hope, um, you know, following where you are, but this is an actual physical object that's doing that, which is weird. And then the same patent, that same thing also describes a vehicle controlled by onboard sensors and tilting propellers that can climb walls using something like magnets, suction, or static electricity. <laughs> it's really cool. Yeah, but that's <laughs> that's that's all we got. <laughs> At this point, it's so hard to believe what information is out there about this place because I haven't seen something like this that is that effective in real life that I just, and I know Disney is not real life. It's magical and it's, you know, whatever. But oh my gosh, that is some lofty, lofty plans for, for Star Wars and the Star Wars experience. And we haven't even, like, the hotel is going to be basically the same thing. Yeah. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge Part 2, for, for real. Like, yeah. um, which, will, which is definitely a separately ticketed experience to enhance your Star Wars land time. So yeah. there, there could be even three thresholds of price to, to experience this thing. If not, there's definitely two, but there could be three. Um, but let's move on to t comics, which will be the last thing we do um, throughout the whole show, actually. Forces of Destiny. Um, it's the online short webisode thing featuring all female characters from around the Star Wars universe. Uh, it's on YouTube for free to watch, and the actual shorts themselves have ranged from terrible to actually kind of awesome. But mostly not great. Mostly middling. The comics are, well... So far, there's two of them out, and they are also very much a mixed bag. There's, um, the first one out was Leia, which was amazing, and the second one out was Rey, which unfortunately was not. We'll get into why in just a moment. But um, if you haven't checked these out yet, do hit up a comic store and pick up Leia for sure. This takes place during Hoth, and it's gorgeous. It's really well put together and is a fun story that builds on you know the Rebels' time in Hoth. It's uh, written by Elsa Chartier and Pierre Collinet, who uh, hopefully I'm saying their names right. And it's also uh, it's, it's also drawn by uh, by Elsa. Hera's in it. Hera is on Hoth doing stuff. The story just it, I won't well I won't get into the story. It, it's a simple it's a simple tale, but it's it's fun. It's worth reading. Uh, I love the hell out of it. Then the Ray issue. Um, you know I would love to have high hopes for Ray, but once again the character finds herself completely and utterly underserviced. Uh, it's written by Jody Hauser, who is great, but so far her work on Star Wars has been kind of weird. She did the Marvel adaptation of uh, Rogue One, which violated continuity for the other things produced for Rogue One. So no one, mm -hmm. it, was, it, was, it was built to expand the film, but no one knows how much of it's even real. In terms of the canon of Rogue One, if the canon of Rogue One even actually means anything... Well, it's 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 more it's just Jin's personal canon. I mean, there's some man, it's some bad stuff. <laughs> I mean, I would side on ignoring flashbacks and weird illusions in the Rogue One comic and just stick with everything else from the young adult books and the Rogue One novel. It's yeah. probably a better place. Well, to there be. there is a Rogue One. There's another Rogue One adaptation 
um, that's out right. from IDW right now. Um, Matt, you've read it? It's pretty standard fare. I enjoyed the interpretations of the characters and the art. And even though IDW's books skew younger, at least the stuff that they do for Star Wars, certainly, I will say um, I felt that uh, it was still quite brutal, like Rogue One is. And um, I, I appreciated that, that despite the art, despite the, the targeted market, they didn't hold anything back in interpreting this film. Yeah, the, the cover of the book's a bit deceptive because it's just a, a kind of lousy photo trace of one of the posters for Rogue One. But the interior art yeah. is a really great, somewhat cartoony, but like comp- compellingly cartoony style. Uh-huh. Yep, absolutely. But here's what's broken about this Ray book. It's an adaptation of a previously released Forces of Destiny webisode. This is the thing that we were shown in animation at Star Wars Celebration this past year and has already been online for six months. And Disney Lucasfilm Press adapted it in a, in a young adult adaptation of Forces of Destiny. Like they, they adapted all the episodes in books edition already. So this would be the third time that the story's been told. And the Forces of Destiny comics were solicited as being original stories exclusive of the comics and this is a fine telling of it and it's 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 well rendered it's the pacing is great in terms of like writing i don't know there's no other writer credits here so maybe jody hauser actually wrote the original short perhaps but even still the fact that it's this comic makes no sense and just sort of shows the lack of commitment to like they don't want to do anything with ray ray is dangerous ray has so much of an uncertain future in terms of what their plans are for her future or her past that they won't like there's this might have even been a last minute gig. I don't know. You know, I don't know. But it seems such a shame for someone who lives the life of a scavenger who could have stories, you know, that take place almost anywhere in the huge gulf of time that she was doing nothing on Jakku. Hanging out with Constable Zuvio, for example. Uh, they're not telling these stories and I don't know why. It seems suspicious, really. Yeah, I, I don't get it. It's it's the same. Yeah, I don't know why they have to tell that 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 worm story. How many times? It, yeah, it's very it, strange. It's super peculiar. Um, but all that said, this is where we uh, we get off before the blast doors. Just a little little comic book tidbit behind the blast doors. If you don't care about what's happening in Star Wars comics, want to hear some cool stuff, follow us behind the blasters this time. We're not going to talk about anything else. I swear. But if you're leaving us now, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of State of the Empire, and uh, we'll see you in a couple weeks with our episode recounting all the fallout from The Last Jedi. And following that, we're going to be talking about Star Wars Rebels leading up to the final seven episodes when the show comes back for season four and the series finale. Open the blast doors! Open the blast doors! All right, so I talked up the Darth Vader comic, and it has been great. Let's talk about this most recent arc, The Dying Light, where we see... The Jedi librarian, Jocasta New, and her uh, Jedi school that she's set up, and um, some amazing shit with Vader. I'm the only one who's read this so far, but I've been sending things to Matt. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, didn't, I didn't know Jocasta New, but she was actually in, as a live-action character, in, uh, what, Attack of the Clones? Yep. She's an old lady. She's she's a librarian. She's like she's not a particularly great fighter. Um, she's just she's she's a diehard archivist, and she survived Order sixty six. It turns out, and what we learn here is that she's been recording Jedi teachings, 
hiding them in some kind of like secret location on a remote planet that's not named behind a waterfall. But there's some stuff she's got to do. She has to return back to Coruscant to try to take care of some unfinished business. And so she uh, she leaves her facility with this one guy with some specific instructions, goes off, and uh, but she's on the short list of people that um, Vader needs to take care of. But in this case, Palpentine wants her alive. And what we learn is he wants her alive because she could give up the names and locations of Force-sensitive children. In the beginning of this arc, we see Vader interacting with the Grand Inquisitor from the first season of Star Wars Rebels. We see Vader um, personally training the rest of the Inquisitors, including one of whom I believe is um, from the Mace Windu comic. Now, that series ended with that character, the, the blind Jedi who turns his back on the Order. It doesn't at any point say that he went on to become an Inquisitor, but he is basically kicked out of the Order and like tried for his crimes and all that. So prime candidate they've as much said it without saying it and um we what well, we what ends up this huge amazing conflict in the jedi archives where um with jocasta new versus the grand inquisitor and versus vader and doing what she can with her limited powers to um to fight back she realizes that Vader is Anakin because she has a secret archive where the the good stuff is hidden and a droid identifies his like biometrics and says, "Ah, Anakin Skywalker." <laughs> um which he does not hmm. like. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh there's there's also a character from Clone Wars who I uh I wasn't familiar with, Commander Fox. Yeah, he wasn't in a, a lot of Clone Wars, but he showed up Actually, at the very beginning and at the very end, pretty much that's it. Vader uh, kills him <laughs> for some insubordination. Vader is a new force here because he's he's like fresh off the block. Like the Imperials don't know what to make of him. When they see him from a distance with a lightsaber, they think he's a Jedi and start shooting at him. Of course, they all get killed. Um, and uh, we see some really weird old lightsaber designs, including this kind of like. Uh, swashbuckler style hilt and uh then vader ends up with this whole list of children because uh jocasta has a discussion with him where she's like so uh the reason palpatine wants me alive do you, do you know why have you even bothered to ask yourself why it's because he wanted this list and he didn't think that you know he knew i he knew i could give you the information but he didn't know i'd have a list because she actually has like basically it, it's on a disc a disc that kind of looks like the Comtech readers from the uh phantom menace toy line actually the little microchips that had voice oh it's it looks exactly like those things um and uh so vader ends up he you know he he subdues her he takes this list he's got it and uh some orabesh flashes up in his his eyes and you can see you can see his heads up display weirdly this book's been out for a week now i haven't seen anybody translate this online yet so i guess i'm gonna have to do it myself maybe i'll flash it up i'm I'm a very busy person. Maybe I'll flash it up on Star Wars spoilers and see if anyone can help me out with that. Um, it's probably just a bunch of Easter eggs, but maybe it says like Elora Dannon, um, you know, because she was a force sensitive baby in an episode of Rebels. <laughs> Granted, this that, is, that would be really cool. This is way too early for that because that happened like mm-hmm. three years in. Um, but um, anyway, so 
Jocasta's like, that's why Palpatine wanted me alive. So what? What? So do, do you know why? Because he wants these kids because he's going to make more of you, dummy. He's going to make more Vader's. So <laughs> Vader kills her and everyone and just reports to Palpatine. Yeah, she died, unfortunately. It's too bad. And I didn't get any information. But then we get an epilogue that flashes forward a undetermined amount of time where we see that uh, the guy that Jocasta left behind to uh, take care of the uh, this data she left for a school, he seals the waterfall, and then um, the uh, the rocks get moved away by none other than a slightly older than Return of the Jedi-looking Luke Skywalker. So hmm. he, he used her materials, no doubt, to um, take care of his, uh, his Jedi school. Such as it is. It's interesting that they would flash forward like that. Right? Also, um, fun fun little thing. Charles Soule recently tweeted that he um, pitched Disney a storyline for Poe Dameron where he says that he swung for the fences and really didn't think they'd go for it, and they totally went for it. And I don't know what that is, but the Poe story has already been pretty crazy, including some really good stuff with Lor Senteca. And I don't know, but hopefully it'll make up for, you know, <laughs> what I view as Poe's severe mistreatment in The Last Jedi. Yeah. Have you gotten around to Storms of Crate, Cap? I have not yet. I've, I've got a, a, a short pile of things I haven't touched yet. Yeah, that Storms of Crate was a fun little uh, canon violating, or maybe not canon violating, but canon abusing um, mess. The Leia Princess of Alderaan book established that Bail Organa had set up a rebel enclave on crate and leia found out about it and leia went and leia visited it and leia saw it and whatnot and in storms of crate post yavin leia and luke go to check out crate as if they've never leia's never been there before to see if it should be used as a rebel base and they get there and they're immediately sold out to the imperials before they can even establish a base and they abandon crate so now whereas the skimmers had looked like the remnants of an old rebel base in last Jedi. Now it turns out those were just mining equipment left over from a base that they wanted to use, but never ended up using. So they never actually had a base there. It wasn't an abandoned rebel base. It was a mining complex that they just opted not to use. I'm very confused what they were trying to do there. Yeah. Which points, they, that's, that says a bunch of weird things about not these expanded universe things, but the last Jedi and what, that was written as and when it was written as that and how on earth did they get these two things released that were so wildly disparate from one another and the release dates were far away from each other too you had plenty of time to fix storms of crate princess of alderaan came out in september and princess of alderaan doesn't do anything to contradict the film nope. so so why would these two things be different and in the comic book, all you really have, if you know, if something goes wrong in a comic book, generally you might have to change a page. You can rearrange some word balloons. You can swap out a panel or two. It's a much easier fix. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, they're they are sold out to um, what is it, Scar Squadron? What are yeah. they calling the squadron of Elite? Yeah. yeah, they're sold out to Scar Squadron like within an hour of being on crate, and it's just Luke, Leia, Han, and Wedge, and they fight Scar Squadron, and they decide that they can't stay on crate because. Um, because of these, you know, the Empire knowing where they are, essentially, and they leave. So they never had a rebel base there. Now, I need to go back and scrutinize the visual dictionary for The Last Jedi, 
but the whole page dedicated to the crate facility, I believe, I can't remember, maybe I'm, maybe I'm wrong, I don't know, someone please, please correct me here, I think it was a weird hybridization of that, I think it was like, it was, it was a rebel mining base, and, and I mean, it, it definitely, it mentioned the Scar Squadron thing, so whatever, I think whatever is in the visual dictionary is a weird hybridization, and one of these two things, and I'm guessing it's going to be this comic book, is going to end up as a legend. Yeah. But so dumb. So dumb that this is the film tie-in book here, and and it's wrong, like, immediately. Like, it was weird. The, they, they're they brought to Crate. It's not like they showed up to Crate in the comic, and they're like, well, let's go check out the base that my dad set up. It was like Leia had never been there. They didn't say that, but they, you know, Leia certainly was acting that way. And they're like, I have a contact there. He's going to show us what he can give us in the, as far as like places to hang out. And they met this like mining, like essentially he owned mining equipment and, you know, the mining complex on crate. And Leo was like, I don't really trust them, but like, I'm going to give them a chance. You know, I give everybody a chance. And he's like, check out what I have, which is clearly the base from last Jedi. And then all of a sudden the empire comes into system and they're like, you sold us out. And he's like, yeah, I did. I sold you out. And then they leave. That's fucking dumb. I mean, well, well was, was the book any good aside from it violating or it's very hard to follow. Like you'll have panels like uh, Luke gets into a fight with the, the guy that uses the lightsaber in scar squadron, the mm-hmm. commanding officer. And Luke finally gets the upper hand by using some like native life on crate that they hadn't really shown in the movie some things that live underneath the soil and of course they're talking during the fight and you know scar squadron saying that like you guys have no hope you know you no chance da, da, da. and then when luke gets the upper hand because of these creatures he's like gives a speech very reminiscent of his speech on crate in last jedi and he's standing over him holding his lightsaber and then it, it cuts back to han and leia's portion of the ongoing fight and then luke shows up and he just goes scar squadron got away <laughs> that was it well, that's weird man that's really weird like huh. no explanation well i don't i don't i don't know what's going on maybe avoid that like five or six dollars that that one shot's gonna cost you yeah i just with an endless cycle of films and this is you know you take the good with the bad i get a star wars movie every year like that's awesome i'm never gonna complain about that but one of the sacrifices i think is some sort of semblance of a expanded universe that can hold itself on its own because they're so subservient and these things are being like constantly edited. And that's why all the rogue one stuff got pushed back to April because rogue one itself needed to be, you know, tinkered with heavily. So I don't think they'll ever do anything big again that can kind of like stand on its own. Like there, there'll be some good issues here and there, but like big stories aren't really a thing anymore, I guess. Yeah. I mean, they're never going to shape the universe ever again. Not in any real, real way, which is just a damn shame. And, and it is, yeah. is really a damn shame because the story group has the power to say, hey, we want to tell a great Han Solo story, or let's say as an example, that we can't do because it really should be Harrison, so let's tell it here. But even those stories in that era are tend to be, for the most part, highly abbreviated and not really the stuff that you tell your friends about. There's been some great stuff, most of it written by Charles Soule, and Dr. Aphra stands alone as a great thing that's so separate from the rest of what's going on with the characters from the films that it gets to have its own life yeah but heaven help you if you want to deal with the actual main characters because you're not going to get to do anything of merit Uh i guess unless it's darth vader (laughs) 
Yeah. But uh, that's where we're going to call it this week. And we'll see you in two weeks with an all new episode of State of the Empire. Bye, I'm Cap. Bye, I'm Doug. Bye, I'm Matt. State of the Empire is a production of the Consequence Podcast Network. Check out our expanding roster of music, film, and television podcast programming at consequenceofsound.net. This show is recorded and produced in Orlando, Florida at Nerdy Show Studios, home of the Nerdy Show Network, geeky programming for all nerds across the multiverse. Discover more at nerdyshow.com. Special thanks to our Bothan pals at the Star Wars Spoilers Facebook group, the Nerdy Show Network Patreon backers, and Will Rowhood. Hero of the Rebellion and keeper of the most delicious data core this side of Delphon. Keep on running, Wilro. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 